Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now today, trust me, we're going beyond. Uh, We are going beyond breastfeeding, but into something that absolutely affects breastfeeding, and that is pelvic health. My guest today is Dr. Melissa Nassani. Dr. Nassani, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marie. It's great to be here. For those of you who might not know, Dr. Nassani is a physical therapist who specializes in treating pelvic floor disorders for both men and women. She has over 20 years of experience in fitness and women's health and holds a board certification as a women's health and clinical specialist. It was following her own pregnancy-related pelvic issues that she expanded her practice of orthopedic physical therapy by immersing herself in the study of women's health and by earning her certification of achievement in pelvic physical therapy for clinical expertise in pelvic health. She is the director of Performance Pelvic Health, a clinic dedicated to treating women's and men's pelvic health and rehab program. Its mission is treating the pregnant client from conception and beyond. So this is where the beyond comes in, folks. Mm-hmm. All righty. So I, I want to talk to you about what pelvic health is so that we make sure that before we have this discussion, we're all on the same page in your uh, expertise, what qualifies as pelvic health? Okay, great. Um, well, pelvic health. I mean, we're we're really starting to hear this this term more often, um, and it's it's really exciting because ten years ago we really didn't have a name to put with it. But pelvic health is really a unique area of practice. It involves a, a little bit of urology, a little bit of um, gynecology, a little bit of obstetrics and GI, and even colorectal. Um, I do have like a, a definition from Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. They oh, yeah. basically define it as the best possible functioning and management of the bladder, bowel, and, and reproductive organs. And they even go on to say that pelvic health plays an important role in complete physical, mental, social, and sexual well-being. So it's really more of a focus on function rather than just disease management. Um, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I would agree. And as soon as you make the comment about bladder, bowel, and reproduction, hello, child yeah. bearing, birthing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Um, All right. So we know then that pelvic health is about that optimal, and I'm paraphrasing here, but optimal bladder, bowel, and reproductive function. Yeah. So I guess that really begs the question of, what is pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah. So, um, you know, the pelvic floor 
does play a huge role in everything that we do, um, particularly like physically and overall about our, our physical health and then our sexual selves. So dysfunction is a per- of a person's pelvic health negatively can also impact them mentally, physically, and socially. Dysfunction usually presents as weakness or excessive tension in the pelvic floor muscles, and it can even be lack of coordination of these muscles. Mm. So it might not be just a strength thing. It could be more of I'm I'm not able to um, coordinate this as I'm trying to release urine or 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 defecate. So it it can mean any one of those things. So. If I'm following you correctly, you're saying it's not just a matter of strength or weakness. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of the, the coordination of the of the muscles, regardless yes. of their strength or weakness. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess maybe does does that speak to muscle force? Is is weakness the same as? I guess is strength the same as force? Yeah, that's that's a really good great question. Okay. Um, well, let me let me first explain a little bit about what the pelvic floor is because I think yeah. that's that's in itself something that not everybody is familiar with. You know, right. people when they are referred for pelvic floor physical therapy, they're like, I have no idea what, <laughs> what this is. Uh-huh. Right. So uh, just to be really simple, um, it is a layer layered group of muscles. So it's uh, several different layers that are located at the bottom of your pelvis. So if you're familiar with your sits bones, those little bony things that, you know, if you rock side to side, you can feel your sits bones. Uh Um, It basically is that bottom of your pelvis. Um, I I really, I like to try to explain it to some patients. Um, You know, if you think of a, a mixing bowl, and and think about it having like marinated chicken in there. If, <laughs> if if you were to take out that bottom of that bowl, the chicken would fall right out, right? So you right. need that you need that base. That base helps to support your your bowl, and that's kind of what your pelvic floor is. It's those muscles that provide that base support for your pelvis. I really encourage everybody to take a look at, you know, try to search a picture because you'll see like, wow, there's really a lot to it. Well, help me here because I'm thinking with my labor and delivery nurse hat on, I'm wishing that my understanding of anatomy was better, but but you're using those muscles when you push out a baby, right? Yes. Yes, you definitely are. Okay. So what about if you have an episiotomy? How does that Mm. figure in? So... Uh, yeah, that's that's a very good question. <laughs> well, um, because does that qualify as pelvic floor? Yeah, that is definitely it, it's episiotomy. Unfortunately, cuts right through the muscle. Through the, the that's what I thought. Yeah, 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 so it can okay. absolutely impact. Okay. Uh, yeah, good question. Um, but back to back to you know wh- where that dysfunction comes to um, when. Our pelvic floor muscle is uh, muscles are not able to produce enough force. Um, what that basically means is that our muscle, we know that muscles contract and, and yes. produce force, right? Yes. And we know that it helps us to move. And so it might help us to lift a grocery bag. We might be creating force with our bicep muscles to lift a grocery bag. So the purpose of the pelvic floor muscles are to create enough force to basically hold back urine when we laugh, cough, or sneeze, or to hold mm-hmm. back gas or stool until we get to the right place at the right time. Right. 
So that's where we have we can have dysfunction of force. Um, the other thing can be, and this is this is where it comes into you know what you just asked about the episiotomy. We can have lack lack of structural support. Um, and it, this sounds like a little complicated, but not really. When when we have those pelvic floor muscle layers, um, there's a certain length and tension that these muscles can hold. Um, when there's change in the, that length tension, particularly like right after we give birth, um, those muscles have been stretched way beyond their normal everyday absolutely. Uh, liking. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. what, what that can do is cause poor pelvic organ support and it can even lead to back pain. But I like to, again, try to describe it, it uh, the support aspect of it. Think of it like a hammock, right? So you have a hammock that's tied up between two trees. If that hammock is really taut or there's a lot of tension, it will support your body weight as you lay on it, right? Right. Right. But if that hammock has a lot of slack in it, for whatever reason, it still can hold up your body weight, but just not well. You might sag down into the hammock, and then you might even get crunched up in the process. So that, again, is, is you know, kind of two ends of the spectrum, but both very important about how we kind of improve the function. So what sort of factors then contribute to the pelvic floor dysfunction? We can even have issues with closure or inability to relax these muscles. So sometimes not, not knowing that you have the muscles can actually, um, not knowing you have the muscles can actually make it more difficult for you to do things. Um, but some factors that contribute to pelvic floor dysfunction is hormonal changes, childbirth, oh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. pelvic trauma, surgery, age connective tissue disorders, obesity, even a slip and fall. So do you notice how I said hormonal changes, childbirth, yes. and pelvic trauma as computers? Yes. Right. So well, I I'm also wondering as you're talking, I'm wondering if just being aware of those pelvic Uh, floor muscles, if that is part of what somebody needs to understand Mm -hmm. in order to understand what's normal, what's not normal, and when to get help. Am Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm probably ahead of you here, but is that kind of where you're going with it? Yeah, um, absolutely. There's, you know, it's, it depends on, I, I think we tend to almost ignore sometimes the things that we do on a daily basis, you know, sometimes we might just be on autopilot. Yeah. Um, when yep. when we have issues, and I, I think the most common thing I tend to hear from my patients um, is that they, you know, tend to are, are peeing more frequently. They're like, I'm, I feel like I'm going to the bathroom every hour. Um, oh, so that uh-huh, that uh-huh. can be like the start of some kind of dysfunction. What exactly it is is sometimes it's a little bit hard to find out at first. So they may see the GYN or they may see the urologist. Um, and so hopefully that patient will eventually, you know, have, have um, been informed about their pelvic floor and how that, and, and their bladder health. Um, and then that can be hopefully a referral to, um, or some kind of input on, on how to take care of it. You know, I'm thinking, though, that in the first trimester of pregnancy, women mm-hmm. do tend to have a lot of frequent urination, mm-hmm. and then it kind of levels off in the second uh, trimester, and then uh, again in the third trimester because of the gravid uterus, uh, all of that weight makes them up, 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 up to do uh, uh, to urinate 
many times a night sometimes. <laughs> yes. So then I'm wondering if people think when they get in the postpartum, it's like they're so used to getting up that they don't realize that this is not normal <laughs> by now. Right. Am I right? Yes, you're exactly right because it really starts to become habitual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the reasons for having that urinary frequency during pregnancy is obvious, especially if their bladder is being squished. You know, they have a lot less capacity. But yeah, you're right. Those those habits definitely can continue afterwards. And then with the mom's breastfeeding, same thing. Like she's she's probably encouraged to drink a lot more water, um, and so she may also be you know getting rid of a lot more water. Yeah, you know that's just so interesting that uh, sometimes. What I've often made the comment that just because something is common does not necessarily mean that it's normal. normal just because yes. it is experienced frequently doesn't mean that it's normal. But, you know, we just, uh, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so what are my pelvic floor muscles doing? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, we, we just don't go around thinking about that. But so anyway, uh, for those Until of there's you, a problem. Until there's <laughs> a problem. Exactly, exactly. Boy, am I glad I emptied my bladder before we yeah. started this. <laughs> so anyway, hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I am here today with Dr. Melissa Nassani, and we will be right back after this short break. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I'm here today with Dr. Melissa Nassani. We're talking about pelvic health and kind of lack of pelvic health. Mm-hmm. And we were talking a lot about the pelvic floor muscles. And I asked her about pregnancy, the uh, frequent urination. And I want to talk a little bit about prolapse issues. I can remember that when I was a young nurse, uh, I saw some serious prolapses. I can't say I've seen that as much uh, in the later days, but what can you tell us about that? Yeah, prolapse. Um Basically, you know, to, to define prolapse, it's basically yeah, a, that. A, yeah, it's a drop or descent of a pelvic organ into the vaginal canal. Um, it can even come out of the vaginal opening. Oh yeah, yeah. That. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, it can be it can be one or more structures. It can be the cervix and uterus. Uh, sometimes it can be the bladder. It can even be a little bit of a slipping of the urethra. Um, in even the vagina or the rectum. But most commonly, particularly postpartum, um, it's the bladder or the rectum. Um, And if it's early enough in postpartum and the mom had a larger baby, um, she can definitely feel the heaviness of the uterus and the cervix coming right down to the opening. All right, so I want to back up on that. Is, mm-hmm. uh, if, if the woman has had a particularly large baby, mm-hmm. so I'm talking in the nine pounds neighborhood yeah. or for my Canadian or UK friends or uh, <laughs> others uh, in the uh, 4,000 gram neighborhood, okay, mm-hmm. um, is she more at risk for these uh, pelvic dysfun- pelvic floor dysfunctions? She may be more at risk. That is okay. one of the, yep, having a larger baby. But then I'm also thinking that if she's got a larger baby, then she's more likely to be having uh, more interventions to get that baby out. You're absolutely correct. And then another that, whole story. That yeah. is another risk factor. So okay. usually prolapse um, or or longer effects of prolapse can happen for multiple reasons. And and definitely if there's, uh, it's definitely higher in women who've had a forceps assisted delivery. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, what ends up happening is that when a, a prolapse happens, when those the muscles that I just described earlier and the connective tissues that usually support these pelvic organs become weak or loose. And so that can happen from the delivery itself. It can happen from um, just the strain of um, having the, the weight of the, the fetus on, on the pelvic floor muscles. Um, and yeah, then they can experience those symptoms. 
Okay, so let's talk about the symptoms, particularly as related to uh, bladder health. Mm-hmm. What kinds of dysfunction, like we've talked a little bit about frequency that is needing to pass urine frequently, but there are mm-hmm. other symptoms, yes? Yeah, so there's three common pelvic floor disorders um, that we can certainly touch on. And, you know, bladder health, bowel health, and then the prolapse, those are the top three. For, for okay. bladder health, um, women can experience um, issues with, with urination or incontinence. They yeah. can experience accidental urinary leakage. Um, and that might be in the form of stress incontinence. And that's really what the most common um, oh, uh-huh. situation yeah. with incontinence is. Um, so they may experience accidental leaking with coughing, sneezing, lifting, exercise, running. Um, and sometimes you don't even realize you have stress incontinence until you kind of get, you, you get that clear from your doctor at six weeks and you're like, woohoo, I can get back to working out. And some women will go out for their first run postpartum and then they realize they just, they wet their pants completely. Yeah. And, and sometimes yeah. it can take them by surprise that, but, but stress incontinence is definitely one of the most common ones. In fact, uh, more than 89% of women will experience some form of incontinence yeah. after childbirth. So yeah. that's a pretty large number. And, you know, there is some chitter-chatter out there about, you know, maybe if I have a cesarean birth, I'm not going to have such a risk. But it is lower, but you're still 18% have a risk of having some kind of incontinence. So it's not foolproof. For sure. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about the fact that that could be that 4,000 gram baby that has been sitting yeah. in there. So, so <laughs> right off the bat, you know, uh, that means that that woman is probably mm-hmm. more at risk for what we call CPD, which yeah. is cephalopelvic disproportion. You've got too big of a baby to come through too small right. of an opening. Uh, so, how is that different than from just the urges? Okay. Yeah. So, urge is another aspect of um, bladder health that we can experience. Um, And that one's kind of difficult to work with because you're feeling this really strong sense of urge and it really wants to send you running to the bathroom. Um, When we have something called urge incontinence, we're actually actually leaking because of that strong urge. So um, a lot of times it can be it can coincide with a trigger. So um, you may have heard somebody say, you know, every time I get to my front door, I get such an urge. And um, yeah. or yeah. you know, we we even joke about it sometimes when we are when we um, are washing our hands with water. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Water, right? You might get a sense of urge. Um, some women, even just seeing the bathroom or or the toilet, is enough of a trigger that kind of right. gives them that sense to go. But. Um, what, what so women- <laughs> I'm wondering how many thousands of women I have taken to the bathroom postpartum yeah. and I turned the water on because I want them to pass oh urine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and so you're telling me, yeah, that is uh, a trigger. Yeah. Okay. Yep, that's why they use it. That's why they nice. use it. Yeah, it just yeah. makes that brain-bladder connection, and then it helps you go. Um, but but sometimes we don't want that. Stay, yeah, is that going to stay with them? Um, that urge? No, that's a good question. So it's a, it should resolve. So very early postpartum, you know, they can experience, again, the, the stress incontinence um, and urge and sometimes even urgency. Urgency is a little bit different. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, it's similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. So urgency, they get that sudden sensation of needing to, to go to the bathroom, but um, they, they're able to make it on time. But those in early in pregnancy, they are common, but by that like six 
particularly the six to eight week mark, that should resolve. That should get better. So it should not be with them for a long period of time. Okay. I was interested, too, in preparation for this show, I was... uh, I was reading one of those research articles, and it said that the average woman has about 450 milliliters of uh, urine that she can hold, mm-hmm. apparently, and, and I think this was after pregnancy, right? Yes. All right. And I'm thinking to myself, I have taken thousands of women to the bathroom. I have never seen them do that in the immediate postpartum period. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, okay. that's probably the milliliters at their max. So, oh, okay. All yeah, right. we like to say they, you know, you can comfortably hold at least 200, 250 to 300 milliliters um, before before really needing to void or one to one and a half cups of fluid um, okay. or urine. So we should be able to delay or hold off going. Um, but again, w- w- that urge that's related to the bladder spasm really can send us oh, wow. sooner than later. And then prolapse can actually make that sim- those symptoms even more pronounced as well, because the pelvic organ can be kind of weighing right on that bladder. Sure. Mm-hmm. You mentioned also, uh, we talked a little bit about bl- uh, bladder dysfunction, and my sense is you could probably talk about that all week, but uh, <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit about bowel dysfunction? Sure. So bowel dysfunction... Um, there's a couple of different um, main kinds. Constipation is one of the bigger ones yeah. um, that women definitely experience during their pregnancy. You know, a lot of times it's the change of hormones, but um, sometimes it's even their prenatal vitamins. I was just um, going to say that. That's what <laughs> yeah. I can Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah, because of the iron. Yeah, uh, the iron. I've even heard women tell me that they stopped taking them because they yes. knew that's what was making them constipated. Yep, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, even they might even have changes in their diet, so they you know might have different um, taste buds during their pregnancy, so their diet shifts a little bit, or they may actually be um, exercising less. You know, uh, um, right, just kind of right. you know taking a step back. All of those things can absolutely affect your your bowel health. Would you say that you have seen people who have trouble with uh, urgency for uh, the bowel in the way that they have urgency for the bladder? Yes, absolutely. So that's one of those little little talked about things that happens um, again earlier in. Nobody uh, wants the, to talk about no, it. <laughs> absolutely not. Definitely not. Um, but it's it's definitely shocking when you know you finally may have had your first bowel movement. That's always a little you know nerve wracking because you're kind of nervous. Um, but then as as you start to go on, um, you know, several days later, you may get a really strong again urgency to have a bowel movement and you know that actually tends to be a lot more concerning to the brain and it's more of like a 911 signal let me get to the bathroom so that can often be something that's not expected definitely not expected Um, but it is very common but even that should resolve again within that hopefully within that first four to six weeks Oh, man. That's a good question. I'm glad to talk about that because, again, um, it's hardly ever discussed and I don't really get to see it very much in literature. Um, but I hear it from a lot of my patients that it's Absolutely. something that they're like, I wish somebody would have told me. Well, and, you know, I'm thinking of one patient who had, um, 
oh, she had some horrific thing that I can't even articulate at the moment. And she had uh, bowel problems for mm-hmm. months on uh, end. And I'm not sure, I, I can tell you this, she was in the I am never going to ever have another baby mentality. Oh, yes. So yes. it had to have really affected her mm-hmm. uh, from the standpoint of, uh, how should I say, we always called it ADLs, you know, people's activities of daily living mm-hmm. yeah. were very impacted by the fact that she was running her life around the the, the bowel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So so, it sounds like, I mean, maybe she could have had a, a fourth degree tear possibly. And, no, uh, that, I know no. what that is, but no, she oh, had something okay. worse than that. Oh, geez. And, uh, yeah, I know. I know. It was pretty bad. But uh, like I said, it really affected her ability. And by the way, she never discussed with me what her sexual uh, dysfunction was. But on the other side of the break, I'm sure we can talk a little bit about that as well. Because it's not just being tied to the bathroom, it's being tied to your fears about everything else that's not happening. So, uh, hey, everybody, don't go away. (laughs) I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with uh, Dr. Melissa Nassani. We will be right back after this short break. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I am here today with a physical therapist, expert, certified expert, no less, uh, Dr. Melissa Nassani. So, Dr. Nassani, can you talk a little bit more about pelvic organ prolapse? You told us what it is, which mm-hmm. is basically you have got uh, bladder uterus or rectum, or I suppose more than one of those, mm-hmm. that is... Um, it's visible. Trust yeah. me. It, it, is, out. Mm-hmm. it is dropping out of the body. <laughs> uh, talk to us a little bit about that. So um, that, that always sounds astonishing, but um, there's, there's different grades of prolapse. So usually, you know, after having delivery, a lot of women can have a first or second degree uh, prolapse. And that prolapse is the, the, the organ is definitely not very far down. And so some women may not even notice those symptoms. Um, it's when the, the organ is prolapsing a little bit lower and you, you actually can feel it in the vaginal opening. Um, the more severe prolapse is more of like the grade four and that's when it's coming out. But um, again, like I said, it can be very asymptomatic for, for some women, but what they'll notice first is a bulge in the vagina or the perineum. Yes. Um, yeah. So a lot of times um, I'm explained by my patients that the first time they experience this mysterious bulge is when they're in the shower and or particularly at the end of their day. Um, it can be frustrating, too, because sometimes it's there and then sometimes it's not. So women are like, oh, maybe it's gone. Maybe it's better. So maybe it's nothing. And then the next day. Um, for no rhyme or reason, it's there again. And um, the symptoms that they can experience can also be bothersome. They may feel a lot of heaviness or pulling in the lower abdominal, but it also may contribute to lower back pain. And and that's that's something I think we tend to miss a lot as women. You know, back pain is so common for everybody, but... Yeah. And who would think of it? Who would think that maybe it's related to this uterus prolapse that I'm experiencing? Sometimes we're not putting those two things together and somebody can go to physical therapy for their back. But really, it's when they start getting more work with their pelvic floor that their symptoms become better. Um, Because again, you're trying to reestablish that pelvic floor support for those organs. Another... 
Oh, I just, I, I got to ask this because mm. I don't know if our listeners can get a full grip on this, but I believe that I saw one time a prolapse of a uterus that I would say that uterus, well, it was sort of the cervix plus, you know, the yeah. end of the, yeah. <laughs> I would say that was hanging out of this woman's vagina by about okay. three or four inches. Yeah. Does that seem right to you? Um that is definitely not right, but yeah. but but it but it happens. It absolutely happens. Um, and again, as crazy it sounds, that might happen shortly after after delivery. But again, as a woman's body starts to go through that postpartum recovery period, some of that I want to say slack of. Um, those that connective tissue and, and the, the supporting tissue of those organs can actually improve over time. So some of it's just a matter of healing. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what the instance of having a, an organ prolapse to that degree, um, how, how much how much better it will resolve after postpartum. I don't I don't I'm not even sure if we have research on that. But on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just remember that's seeing more that extreme in, for yeah, sure. It was, oh, it was very. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, uh, listeners need to understand we're not talking about a couple of uh, you know millimeters or something here. <laughs> this can really be quite dramatic. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about how all of this. Uh, you talked a little bit about the uh, uh, a large fetus impacting on pelvic health. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? What else could you talk to us about from the standpoint of pregnancy? Okay, or delivery, um, or delivery. Yep. Yeah. Um, with with regards to prolapse or uh, any any of these uh, things of these as things. related to pelvic floor health. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. We know that during pregnancy, our body really undergoes a lot of changes, and 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 they go it goes through that so that we can carry and deliver the baby. Um, when we look at, you know, what what uh, transpires with the abdominal wall, it becomes really stretched out. Um, the uterus gets bigger. The baby grows inside. Um, over time, that can actually lead to abdominal weakness. Your your pregnancy also affects your pelvic joints. Um, your mm, pelvic bones yes. can become a, a little bit more lax. And then that connective tissue that supports the abdomen and the, the pelvic floor muscles tends to get a little bit looser and, and, and possibly even weaker. So after childbirth, though, we know that we have the pregnancy hormones that tend to lay around a little bit more. Um, and instead of you know bouncing back or snapping back, um, those pregnancy hormones can actually just kind of a, a delay um, getting that pelvic health back to its, its um, prior level. Um, and then especially with breastfeeding, actually, how does, how does that fit in? Yeah. Um, I actually, it was interesting to read. It's really hard to find actually, um, how, how much breastfeeding impacts the pelvic floor, but there was one study that, that had a prevalence of urinary incontinence at 24 months postpartum. So two years postpartum was higher in women with vaginal deliveries and in those who breastfed. Wow. I know. I was really surprised to find that. And, um, you know, it, it does make sense because I just know from, you know, clinical experience that um, sometimes when women are, are, they continue to breastfeed, um, you know, and they have some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction, they do take a little bit longer to heal. And so, obviously, you know, we do make a little bit less estrogen naturally while we're breastfeeding. Um, but it basically yeah. comes around to... Wow. You know, it's normal. So, you know, that is normal. But, you know, when you're thinking about the lingering effects of pregnancy hormones, um, you know, it might take up to even three months after 
um, finishing, you know, breastfeeding that you will really start to feel your, your best. This has got to be all hormone related. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, I am very sure that I have read thousands of studies on breastfeeding and I've never read anything like that, but, mm-hmm. but I absolutely believe you and I want to hunt up that study so I can read it for myself. Uh, but I'm just, and, and I was thinking too of what you were talking about with um, the things that get, quote, looser. And I was thinking of relaxin and how that's yes. a hormone which actually is helpful mm-hmm. in in sense of you want that that sort of those joints to be you know a little semi movable to get Absolutely. that baby out yeah but what you don't want is for it to be that way like for the rest of your life no. ay 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 yeah. all right so so tell us about this how does this affect people's women's at least sexual function uh when they're pelvic floor just isn't put together right so that that's a really good question um as far as sexual function goes you know if they're experiencing things like urinary incontinence they may be nervous that they may be stirring intercourse you know um if their bladder is prolapsed again they might also still feel a little bit nervous that they might leak um a lot of women try to remedy that by trying to go to the bathroom right before first yeah Uh, yeah uh, which is good, good bladder health anyway. And then um, if they're experiencing something like we were talking about with the, the uterus or cervix prolapsing, you know, they can experience more of a, a deeper pelvic pain with intercourse. Oh, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I try to explain to my patients, you know, if, if you're, you know, if it's towards the end of the day and then you're expecting to have sexual activity, that your pelvic floor has been really working hard all day long. All day long. Yeah. yeah. All day long, you know, carrying the baby, um, taking care of the baby, your house, or, or even back to work. Um, and so by the end of the day, you know, just like we would be more likely to feel the symptoms of a prolapse, your pelvic floor has a little bit of, of um, you know, more heaviness to it. And so that, that uterus could be down a little bit further um, and it could be more uncomfortable. So I usually say, have sex in the morning. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And how does it impact... Um, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but how does how does this impact on on the man who is having the intercourse with this woman who has a prolapsed organ of some sort? How does that feel? Well, that's that's funny. Um, that's a great question. <laughs> it, it, it can't feel right. <laughs> well, actually, so again, all I can um, comment on is from what my patients have, have explained to me in the past, but they say, you know, my, my significant other does not feel anything. They, they uh, don't oh, know. Okay. But they okay. also, you know, they also say, you know, they don't want to hurt me either. So, sure. you know, sure. there's definitely a discussion about what's tolerable and not tolerable. Oh, my word. All right. So I'm also thinking that sometimes when women have had really, really, really bad hemorrhoids, I tell them one of the things that you can do is to put the baby on like a changing table or even an ironing board as long as it's stable and so forth uh, to breastfeed. But I'm thinking that a lot of times the hemorrhoids go with the pushing and the extended pushing. Uh, now I'm wondering if I'm giving them bad advice because uh, the standing is going to, would you say, exacerbate their problem? Um, yeah, I mean, I could, I could definitely see that it might contribute to it a little bit because, again, you know, just the weight of the the pelvis 
um, you know, and the contents and, and oh, it's gravity, the pressure and the gravity. You got yeah. it. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my. I, I, it's just so hard to imagine how these people can get through because I'm I sure know. you see those that are in really bad shape yeah. and uh, and hopefully you do see them because otherwise they're just home and miserable with it, which <laughs> is actually even worse. Yeah. Uh, so, you know what, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about when and how to get help because I know that there are people who are listening who are wondering if they've got at least some degree of this. They might not have it as bad as what we're talking, but... Uh, people need to get help for these things. They don't have to put up with it. So, hey, everybody, don't go away. I am here today with Dr. Melissa Nassani. We will be right back after this short break. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, Do its best for you and your baby. 